Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And they came to Jericho. And he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The word of the Lord. The majority of people in America would say that Christians are self-righteous and hypocritical. The question is, is that justified? And inevitably, those perceptions are based on experiences of reality. And unfortunately, the church throughout history, and even in our day today, has not followed the kingdom culture that Jesus was setting out to establish. The church today is still, and throughout history, kind of identified with seeking money, right? There's the prosperity gospel, pastors who fly around on their private jets, fights over land. And then, of course, there's the way that the church um, throughout the past couple decades has been exposed for hiding abuse, protecting bishops and priests over kids and others, trying to hold on to power because power matters, right? The institution matters. People don't matter. Pride blinds. The desire for power blinds. And we as Christians trying to follow Christ are not much different in the sense of we have taken our culture's view on things. The culture's definition of success, of what it means to be happy, and we put that over the kingdom. Time and again, we act hypocritical. We act sometimes self-righteously. Jesus Christ comes in and challenges every kingdom that ever existed. He challenged the religious culture of his day. He challenges our culture because he's ushering in a kingdom that God has in store that is completely reversing and tossing upside down all the things that our culture and every culture has ever held on to. Power, myself, pride. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus heals a man who is born blind. And in it, he describes and and demonstrates his compassion for the least, the outcast, the powerless, and also his kingdom's upside-down calling, that if you want all the power, you have nothing to do with him. But if you're willing to relinquish it all, he invites you in. Let me say a prayer and then enter into this passage. Lord Jesus, as we open up your word today, give us eyes to see and be willing to admit that we are blind and need you. In your name we pray, amen. 
The setting in Mark chapter 10 is it's the last set of things that happen before Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. So this basically is the very end of Jesus' life ministry before his final week in Jerusalem that's leading up to his crucifixion. It's maybe Friday uh, before, maybe the Thursday before, the, the Sunday when he rides into Jerusalem. And what happens is there, he's, he's in verse 46, he's in a pilgrimage uh, kind of caravan, if you would. So what happened in that day and age was when they celebrated the big festivals and Passover was the one that was approaching, people would come from all over Israel and they would descend upon Jerusalem. The city would swell from a couple thousand, tens of thousands, to sometimes hundreds of thousands as people camped out and lived all over the place in Jerusalem to be there where the temple was to worship. So Jesus is on his way into and out of Jericho, a city about 15 to 20 miles outside of Jerusalem. And with him is his disciples and a whole crowd of other people. And as they're going along, they leave Jericho. And on the way out of Jericho, there's a man named Bartimaeus. This is verse 46. He is blind and he is begging on the side of the road outside of the walls of of Jericho. And in verse 47, he, he basically says to somebody in the crowd, he hears the big commotion. He's like, what's going on? Who is it? And somebody says, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene is coming through. Something of what the blind man Bartimaeus has heard causes him to react with loudness and excitement. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's probably shouting it again and again, sitting on the side of the road. He's not just saying alms for the poor. But he's disturbing this crowd of people. And we're not sure who, but in verse 48, it says many. So that probably includes the crowds of pilgrims as well as the disciples themselves. Whoever's near him, they rebuke Bartimaeus. The same thing that Jesus does to demons. Shutting them up. Stopping them. Putting them in their place. Be silent. The crowds are telling this poor blind man, you do not have a say here. Stop bothering the teacher. Stop bothering us. And you honestly have to ask, who does this? I mean, there's a poor blind guy sitting on the side of the road begging for Jesus to come to him, and the disciples and others are saying, shut up. I mean, it's it's sort of like a a sick meanness or something, like the sort of person who drives a car and sees somebody walking along the side of the road and intentionally hits the puddle in order to get them. Like, stop, we want nothing to do with you. He's a blind guy begging for Jesus' mercy, and they shut him up. But, to their defense, they see the blind man not the way that we might today. In that culture, his blindness made him an outsider in every possible way. Notice that the passage says that he is by the road, not on the road. He's beside the road, which is already just the way that Mark's describing it. He's saying that Bartimaeus was by the road, not on the road. The pilgrims are on the road. Everyone's on the road. He's not allowed to be on the road. And on top of that, he's outside of Jericho. Now, part of that was pragmatic. If you wanted to beg for money, you got the travelers on the way in and out of the city, so you sat outside. But Mark, the writer, is also trying to get us to see that Bartimaeus was outside of the community. 
He is outside of the walls. He is not allowed to be apart. And in that culture, which had stipulations and rules for who could participate in the life of the community and in the worship, people who had a sickness, people who were blind, were considered unclean. They couldn't participate in the Passover worship in in Jerusalem. And by and large, people wanted to avoid them. You didn't want to touch a blind person. You didn't want to make yourself religiously unclean. So for however many years Bartimaeus had existed outside of the community, somebody that everyone wanted to avoid, somebody who was completely outcast. And part of this was that in that culture, at least in the first century Judaism, things like blindness or sickness were considered to be a result of your sin. It's why in John chapter 9, people asked, who sinned to make this guy blind, this man or his parents? The idea was that the law laid out that if you are faithful to God and you follow God's ways, God will bless you. So if you have a sickness, it's probably because you broke God's law. And on top of that, when he calls out to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to recover my sight, implying at one point he did see. So whether by natural causes or by an accident he's now blind, has been for some time, we don't know, I want to see again. But to the crowds, if this guy could see and now can't, he clearly has done something wrong. It's his fault that he is blind. God's cursed him. In a law-based religion or a merit-based culture, misfortune is deserved. It's probably because of something you did, and so they silence him. You sinner, stay out. We want nothing to do with you, and I'm sure Jesus doesn't either. It seems incredibly harsh. It's the sort of thing we can't imagine doing today, actually. We can't imagine uh, the equivalent of a blind beggar that we would, we would exile outside of the community. And so I was trying to think about it. Do, do we have something equivalent to the blind beggar? It's a question I always ask. What is the equivalent today? And thankfully, because of the Christian influence on the West and our modern rights society, we would never think of a blind person or a poor person as unclean or outside or they deserve it. But we do still have this category for people whose life is a mess by their own fault. And for them, we're okay if bad stuff happens to them because they've sort of deserved it. They've earned their bad stuff, right? One of the ones that I've seen most recently, and some of you have read it, and I can't get enough of it, is the college admissions scandal where very rich people Very rich people, famous people, were paying tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their kids into USC or Yale or Georgetown. They would sometimes go in through the tennis coach or the water polo coach and and claim that their kid, paying off the coach, was a water polo player or was a tennis player or was whatever. They would even Photoshop pictures like some of these that showed the the kid (laughs) doing something amazing, even though the kid had never played the sport before in their life. I mean, like, can you imagine being that, that like, one of the, the kid who actually did the pole vaulting, 
the guy who actually did dunk, and somebody's taking your face, putting it there so that they can get into college. And so when I see these people being caught up in it and their lives falling apart, I'm, I, it, I like it. It's, it I, I'm thinking, this shouldn't be the case. I should actually feel bad. But instead, I'm like, no, it's, they, have, they have dug their own grave here, right? And they're rich and famous, right? I think it's what uh, the Germans call Schadenfreude, which is a description for the sort of person who likes to watch those funniest home videos where the dad gets hit below the belt with the bat and they laugh at him. Instead of watching somebody skateboarding, you want to see them crash, you laugh at that. You don't want to see the guy jump off of the house and onto the trampoline, you want to see him miss. There's something about us that like, likes to see somebody else's misfortune, especially when it's their own fault, their own selfishness, their own stupidity. We have limited compassion. We have limited compassion for those who have messed up their own lives. We have limited compassion for those who, because of their decisions or actions or selfishness or stupidity, have ruined their relationships, have ruined their career or finances, have ruined their own health. So maybe we wouldn't take a blind person and throw them out, but anybody who has screwed up their own life, we're, we're right on the edge of pushing them out. We have limited compassion, but thankfully, Jesus does not. Jesus has unlimited compassion for those who have ruined their own lives, for the selfish and the stupid. And we see his compassion come out in great measures with Bartimaeus. You know, it's interesting, Bartimaeus is the only person in Matthew, Mark, and Luke who is healed, who is named. To name a person was to elevate them. It was to say, you matter. Your name matters. He's the only person Jesus healed whose name is identified. And on top of that, while the the crowds say, be quiet to Bartimaeus, Jesus stops. He hears the man calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops and turns and calls the man to him. By doing so, he's elevating the man in front of the crowd. They want to shut him up. The master, the the rabbi, Jesus says, no, I want to see him. He matters. He's giving him dignity just by letting him come to him, by calling him to him, giving him an audience. And on top of that, Jesus knows what he needs. He's blind. He wants to see. But Jesus asks him. He wants to hear it from him, and he wants them to hear his story. What do you want? Your story matters. You matter. Your suffering matters. To Jesus, Bartimaeus isn't a problem to be dealt with or avoided, but a person, a person whom God made, whom God loves, And Jesus wants him to know it. What do you want? What do you need? Everybody, this is Bartimaeus. He's important because I say so. Bartimaeus calls out Jesus' name when he says, Son of David. This is the um, only time in Mark's gospel where this is said. 
This is the second person who identifies Jesus with messianic overtones. That phrase, son of David, was because Jesus was in the lineage of David, but it, it was, had clear messianic language tied to it. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David, the great king of Israel. This is a thousand years before Jesus. And he says the promise of the covenant of God to David is, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Somebody is going to come from your line who will sit on the throne of David forever. This is not a regular king who is coming, and it's why the prophets like Jeremiah and others later on had this had the theology of the Messiah, the Savior coming, that is, I, I will raise up for David a righteous branch who will reign as king. He will judge wisely. He will execute justice. He will be a king forever in my name. When Bartimaeus is calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he's not just saying, hey, Jesus, that rabbi from Nazareth, He's saying, Jesus, I identify you as the Messiah, the true king. I know you can help me. It was a clear title with messianic overtones, royal overtones, the sort of title that Jesus should have said, hey, be quiet, because it was the sort of name or title that would have gotten you in trouble with actual authorities. They would have said, oh, this guy thinks he's the son of David. We know what that means. And it's the blind man who's the first one to identify Jesus as such. He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He says, have mercy on me because he knows that when the son of David comes, when the Messiah comes, as it says in, verse 40, in chapter 42 of Isaiah, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is talking about the Messiah. And what will he do? He will open the eyes that are blind. Several times in Isaiah, the prophecies attached to the Messiah include this hope that the blind will see. Their eyes will be lightened. In chapter 35, verses 4 through 6 of Isaiah, we read, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap for a deer, like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. To a blind beggar sitting outside of the walls of his community, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David coming, was the hope the hope of his eyes being opened. If he is the son of David, if he is the Messiah, he can open my eyes and I will see. And on top of that, the hope was that when the Messiah came, Israel would be restored. He wanted to be restored. He wanted to be brought back to his community. He who had been pushed out in darkness wanted to be brought in again. So Bartimaeus puts all his hope in this Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus says in verse 52, 
says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. That word made him well is the Greek word sozo, which can mean to make well, to heal, or to save. Literally, salvation is the same word there. What's amazing here is Jesus makes him well in every possible way. Jesus sozos, heals his blindness, giving him physical well-being. But Jesus also sozos him emotionally. He says, you matter. Everyone else has shoved you away. You matter. He gives him dignity. He identifies him. He physically heals him. He emotionally heals him. And he socially restores him right? By calling him in front of the crowds and saying, I want to hear from you, he is restoring him before the crowds. Not only that, he heals him, so he goes from blindness, which made him unclean, to sight, which made him clean. He could participate in the worshipers going to Passover. And now he was no longer on the side of the road, but he is on the road with them. He is on the way. He is restored socially and physically and emotionally and also spiritually. Your faith has sowed you. You are now on the way, which was a, a way of saying that you were a disciple. You are with Jesus, walking with Jesus. So much so that at the beginning of this passage, when it says Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, the, the New Testament scholars say the reason why they identify his name, this is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is because Mark, the gospel writer, who's writing like 30 to 40 years after Jesus' death, is writing to a church, probably in Rome, who's going to read this script. And, and Mark is saying, you know, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, because 30 plus years after Jesus, both this blind man and his father are known to that church in Rome. This blind man's life didn't just end after the healing. He went on to follow Jesus, to maybe have an impact for the kingdom 20, 30 years later across the globe. God had a plan for him, and through Christ it was executed. Jesus' salvation is holistic. It's not just spiritual. It is physical and emotional and social, and our gospel and our mission must be too. Bartimaeus cries out when Jesus says, what do you want? He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. But the word he uses for rabbi is actually, rabbi means teacher in Hebrew, but the word he uses is a rare word. It's actually an elevated word and a personalized word. He uses the the version of rabbi that Mary Magdalene uses after Jesus' resurrection in John. What he's saying is not rabbi as in, you know, you're a great teacher. He says, my rabbi, not only my rabbi, but my master, my Lord. Let me recover my sight. And the irony of this whole thing is that in Mark 10, if you read all of Mark 10, he's the only one who can see. It's everyone else who's blind. In the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, the question that we often ask is, who's in and who's out? It was the question the Jews were asking. Who's in, who's out in Jesus' kingdom? 
At the beginning of Mark chapter 10, you get a story in the middle of it of a rich ruler, a rich man who had all the wealth that he could possibly have and was a faithful religious guy. He, he obeyed the Ten Commandments. He did what he was supposed to do. He was faithful and God had blessed him. He was a social and religious insider of every possible way. At the end, at the end of the chapter, we get a blind beggar. He is religiously unclean and literally outside of the community, sitting outside of the walls of the city. But it's the rich man who will not acknowledge his need of Jesus, who won't drop his riches to follow Jesus. And it is the blind man who can see that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the blind man who calls him my master. It's the blind man who drops everything to follow him. In Mark 10, Jesus is flipping things upside down. It's the, the rich, the religious, the social insider who's out but the blind beggar who's unclean is in. It's part of the upside-down values in the kingdom of God. The values that even the disciples keep getting wrong. The disciples in the middle of this chapter, in between the story of the rich man and the blind man, the disciples are talking about glory and sitting on thrones just after Jesus is talking about crucifixion and his own death, and humility, and servanthood. The disciples, they've been following Jesus. They want to talk about glory and power, and Jesus is talking about his own death. The disciples are rebuking Bartimaeus, silencing this unclean outsider, and Jesus stops and listens to and elevates and heals Bartimaeus. And we are not much different than the disciples. We constantly interpret Jesus' kingdom through our culture's priorities and our own desires. It comes in the form of, surely, surely God wants me to be successful and happy. Right? God wants me to be successful and happy. No. He wants you to die. He wants you to die to self so you can have true life in him. You may not be happy and successful as the world terms it, but you will have life to the full. Jesus wants you to drop everything in order to have and follow him. In the kingdom of God, this upside-down values kingdom, it's not the good who are in and the bad who are out, Rather, everyone's out, but anybody can come in. The key is to see your need of him and be willing to admit it. And so that's the question. Are you blind? Are you a beggar? Do you have need? And I know that actually in this room, some of you actually really feel that way. You feel very unworthy. You may even look together on the outside, but you know that underneath there's a lot of junk in your life. And you think inside, even as you're sitting in a place like this, if people knew, if they knew what I'm really like, if they knew the things that I've done in the past, they would reject me. 
I can't ever be one of them. So you're driven by fear and shame to keep your distance from Christ. But hear this story of Bartimaeus. He is in a long line of social and religious outcasts, of sinners, if you would, who admit their need, appeal to Christ's mercy, and are sozoed, made well in every way. The kingdom of God is not for the well-meaning or capable, but for the desperate and the needy. Desperation and need. That is the continual posture that is necessary for faith. Desperation and need is the continual attitude for growth and healing in your life. Desperation and need is the continued perspective that's necessary for an ongoing relational intimacy with God the Father. The gospel is about a king who gave up his throne for a gallows. And he calls the sick and the sinful and the outcast, any who are willing to admit that they are needy, to come and be a part of his kingdom and go and do the same. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are needy, but we don't always see it. We try to hide and cover up, try to make our lives look together. And in many ways, for many of us, they are. Your finances are well, our families are well. The gospel says that we all stand blind beggars in need of your grace and mercy. Give us eyes to see you as our only hope, our only hope of salvation, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.